Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. My name is Zach Mitchell from the TMM program at UOttawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode from the TMM 4950 Science Communication course. Today we'll be learning about the ability of freshwater mussels to adhere to hard surfaces. This special ability is part of the reason these mollusks have expanded from their native range in Eurasia to invade North American waters, causing billions of dollars in damages on top of drastically altering aquatic ecosystems. Beats Research Radio is excited to welcome Angelico Obille, a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto Institute of Biomedical Engineering in the Biological and Bioinspired Materials Laboratory. Angelico is currently researching the proteins involved in freshwater mussel adhesion. Angelico, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Let's start with the big question. Why is it so important to study freshwater mussel adhesion? Yeah, so from an engineering perspective, particularly in biomedical engineering, designing materials that are effective and biologically compatible is really tough to do. So in particular, medical adhesives are hard to design because One, not many adhesives work in wet conditions. You can imagine tape doesn't really work if your surfaces are wet. And secondly, um, those that do bond surfaces strongly are typically quite toxic. Um, Nature has a one-up compared to us because life has had millions of years of evolutionary processes ahead of us to design the functional materials that we see today. So taking this bio-inspired materials design approach unites our scientific processes with the living, breathing world that we live in. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's a really cool spin on things. So the idea is that you're studying this muscle adhesion to really understand what glues them to things and then try and spin that to help us develop materials. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, and so at the beginning of your PhD, you worked on understanding uh, the bissel proteomes from these animals, these uh, freshwater mussels. Can you explain what this means and what you found? <laughs> yeah, so a bissel proteome is a very technical word, but yeah. a proteome is basically a set of all proteins found in a system, right? So the bissel proteome is the set of all proteins that compose the byssus. And so the byssus is a non-living structure, kind of like a hair, um, and it's secreted by the bivalve that allows the animal to attach itself to plethora of surfaces and support itself and its sessile lifestyle. And the byssus is composed um, almost entirely of proteins, uh, which are essentially chains of amino acids that are arranged and folded to make up an organism and that do what the organism needs to do to live. And although there are only a handful of amino acids that make up a protein, there are countless possible arrangements of these building blocks, resulting in the vast diversity of molecular machines and functional materials that we see today. So in understanding the bissel proteome, I now have an ingredients list of proteins that work together to make up the byssus. Um, Some of these proteins are responsible for forming the strong thread Some are responsible for controlling the redox environment within the byssus. Some are involved in keeping the whole structure together, a process known as cohesion. Um, So the proteins that I focused on are the ones that are involved at the direct interface between the byssus and the substrates that they attach to. 
Um, so these are the sticky adhesive proteins. And we found a set of 20 some proteins localized at the adhesive interface. And the bulk of my PhD was in extracting one of these proteins and characterizing it. So trying to see if it's sticky and why it might be sticky. Okay. Wow, that's really fascinating. Is there anything about your protein that you're studying specifically or like the whole proteome of the uh, muscles that make them so successful? Because I understand that they were a native species in Europe and then they've kind of come and done really well at colonizing the Great Lakes area and uh, watershed here in North America. So is there something special about the proteins in these muscles that makes them different from other muscles and better at colonizing uh, these areas? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, they have millions and millions of years ahead of us to kind of design these um, these materials. They um, So these are freshwater muscles, right? And so there are marine muscles, like kind of their cousins, they actually evolutionarily diverged at the class level. So like very far back in time. And they both kind of have that byssus structure to adhere to surfaces, um, but actually chemically, biochemically, they are very different. Um, the proteins that make up the zebra muscle and quagga muscle byssus are actually non-homologous, so they're very different to the marine muscle adhesive proteins. And so that's kind of the exciting part of this project where we're kind of discovering what's what's new, what's novel, what are the essential properties of these proteins that make them sticky in what conditions. The difference between, just to clarify, marine muscles and uh, these muscles is the salt content in the water, pr primarily, right? Exactly. Marine yeah. muscles are ocean muscles. Okay. Okay. Got it. So what specific differences do you notice between the proteins of the freshwater muscles and then these marine muscles? Like what makes the freshwater ones stickier in freshwater? Yeah. So there's still a lot of things that we don't know, um, but we do know that the primary sequence of amino acids that make up these proteins are very different. Um, actually, in marine muscles, um, one of the most famous post-translational modifications of those proteins was the modification of tyrosine into DOPA. And since then, like many engineers have tried to make DOPA-based adhesives. What we found in the freshwater muscle adhesive system is that there's a lot less DOPA in the byssus. And not only that, is that the DOPA seems to be not preferentially located at the adhesive interface. So this kind of points to uh, potentially a mechanism that is less dependent on the amounts of DOPA at the adhesive interface. Okay. And as far as like medical adhesives go, I guess that kind of probably shifts the paradigm a little, or at least the, you know, people trying to make adhesives that are full of all this dopa and then realizing that there's these muscles that stick really well in fresh water and they have much less of this modified amino acid. Yeah. Essentially what our work is trying to do is to supplement the current technology that exists. You know, there, there are some limitations with dopa based adhesives, such as like controlling the redox environment, like they are easily oxidized and whatnot. So if we can find a mechanism that relies less on DOPA, we can kind of enhance or improve the, that technology. Great. So this is a perfect organism really then to be, to be looking at. <laughs> awesome. So the freshwater muscles that you're studying, like these zebra and quagga muscles, are considered by most to be an invasive species in North America and the Great Lakes. And you've made us understand before this interview that you don't love the terminology invasive 
calling things an invasive species or, you know, outside of their native environment. So could you talk about that a little more and your perspective on that? Yeah, for sure. So um, throughout my time in this project, I I noticed that the easiest way to get people to recognize or understand my organism of study is to ask if they know about the invasive zebra mussels. And then the conversation usually leads to how much of a nuisance they are for boat owners or pipe maintenance crew, how their proliferation has pushed out other organisms in the region and drastically changed the ecosystem usually perceived for the worse. Actually, when I go to collect the mussels at the local harbor, the people there are usually like, yeah, please take them. We don't want them here. Um, it's all fun and games, but over the years, I've noticed a sort of discord between the public perception of these animals and my personal connection to them. It seems like everyone hates these animals, but to me, they are a source of inspiration for my work. You know, the culmination of the years and years of biochemistry training in elementary school, I was that kid who would spend recess time in the gardens after rainfall looking for snails to take home and take care of in Lego houses. And now I'm studying a different kind of mollusk at the doctoral level. So not only that, but the motivation for this work is to help design medical adhesives that can help so many people in situations where stitches and staples may not be totally applicable. So I've grappled, I've grappled with this mismatch in feelings towards these animals. And over the years, I started to question, why do we use such judgmental and sometimes violent terminology to describe these innocent animals? You know, it seems like labeling them as invasive is an extension of xenophobic ideology and that maybe at a subconscious level, we are projecting humanity onto species that didn't even ask for it. That's why some of my efforts these days are um, to kind of reframe how non-native species um, are being talked about. I'm coining the term diasporic species to reflect this reframing. And um, in doing so, we can maybe expand our view of moving parts of an ecosystem and maybe have some compassion towards them. Like I'm not trying to minimize the very real negative impacts that they might have, but I think that by removing the judgment to describe non-native parts of an ecosystem, perhaps there would be more space for compassion and for the consideration of both the negative and positive influences of that entity in that space, maybe take a more holistic and wholesome approach to studying nature. And I think this way, there's more room for creative solutions to the problems that these species may introduce to a system. There's more room for us to take a step back and ask from whose perspective really is this a problem? And I, I think like really to combat the idea that the best solution would be to eradicate. Okay, wow, that was a lot. That was like a really great perspective from you. And I think uh, it's awesome to hear how passionate you are about this project and your study and these muscles. Um, the term diasporic, the way you're using it, it means, it would mean like something that exists in two places, kind of as a definition for that. Okay. Yeah. So diaspora really is kind of like a term used for human populations. For example, I'm part of the Philippine diaspora. My ancestors were from the Philippines and I was born here in America. Um, so it's a very kind of like human kind of concept. And yeah, diaspora really kind of just means like non-native, ancestrally non-native to that region. So in the sense, these zebra mussels, these quagga mussels are diasporic because they evolved and they um, and, and whatnot in uh, the Dnieper River in Eastern Europe. And they were introduced here maybe like 50 years ago, ago or so. Awesome. So could you talk 
a bit more about some of the ecosystem impacts that the mussels are having by being in the Great Lakes, uh, positive and negative, both? Yeah, for sure. So um, it kind of really depends on the frame of reference, whether it's a positive or negative influence, right? So online and in literature, there are countless accounts of the negative impacts of these animals, like how they have, they cover boats and pipelines and whatnot. So from a very human point of reference, there's like kind of a negative light on these animals for sure. Uh, one of the positive influences besides like the biomedical engineering perspective is that like um, the fact that they are filter feeders. So they can actually clean the water that they are in. And I, I think that um, there were some accounts of how this kind of, um, filter feeding and cleaning of the water resulted in some people finding old shipwrecks in the lakes. Um, so, but I think the point is that like, regardless of whether the positive impacts outweigh the negative or vice versa, these animals are still here. They found their another ecological niche in a different continent. And who are we to judge their value in our global ecosystem? Yeah, that's a very fair way to look at it. A lot of, a lot of people and, and, it sounds like this is something that, like you already mentioned, eradication and you're, you know, that's something that people seem like they're considering, but you're very opposed to. And I'm wondering, like, a, a term that comes up a lot of the time is biocontrol. Um, could you talk a bit about, I don't know, ways that we could live more harmoniously with these animals? Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in biocontrol. I, I don't know the nuances of policy and regulations, and I don't know how some solutions could be implemented at the mass scale, but I do know that eradication is not really a feasible solution. Um, they are already here and have been making changes here and there for at least half a century. Um, suddenly removing all of them may actually perturb the system in unpredictable ways. So it's definitely a balancing act, weighing out what parts of an ecosystem we are willing to lose for the benefit of other parts. Thank you so much for joining us today, Angelico, and sharing with us your important work on the adhesive properties of freshwater mussels and some important perspective as well. This episode was created through the efforts of Liliana Austin, Zachary Mitchell, Safa Gassiaskar, and Samarth Chauhan, all copyrights reserved to Beats Research Radio and the University of Ottawa.